There you go. It is five past one on this Reconciliation Day, the 16th of December. I am Jonathan Sinclair. I am standing in for the Daily Maverick team who are taking some well-deserved breaks. And I have my beautiful co-host with me, Deshni Subrami from Business Day Live. How are you doing? Oh, there's your mic. Sorry, <laughs> Duncan's going to kill me. <laughs> How are you? Let's talk about what you do at Business Day Live. Do you only write business articles? Oh, no, I don't. So, okay. um, Thank God. I, I am a senior web producer for the um, BD Live website, which mm-hmm. means that I everything that you see on that website, me and my team are responsible for. So we're a team of about eight people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we make things pretty. We put hyperlinks in, all those clicky things that yeah. people like about websites. That would be, that's what we do. And yeah, that's what I do every every day you've when you look at a, a big website like that you picture like literally hundreds of people updating and stuff but when you realize what a small team it is that actually runs such a big website it's it's amazing so I, I, and it's it's the kind of work that doesn't really get noticed you'll be busy behind your computer all day and no one really knows what you're doing so it's it is a bit true. of a thankless job hey and it's a bit of a funny one because everybody has to comment on how much we just sit on twitter and facebook and gmail and you know yeah. which is generally how we communicate with each other all the time so yeah it's funny but i mean when they see the nice things like the little graphics and the cool timelines mm. that we put together then they get impressed a little bit sometimes mm. yeah and uh how did your career start how did you get into the journalistic field and did you always want to do this? I studied journalism. Yes, I did always want to do this. Um, I've got a family who's quite into politics and current oh, affairs. Well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Prime Media. Uh, I worked there. After Prime Media, I moved on to the Mail and Guardian. And at the Mail and Guardian, I was there for about four years and then moved to Business Day. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Mail and Guardian is one of those that they take seriously. I know at universities, they'll generally keep the Mail and Guardian for future generations to read, mm. but not so much the other ones. So that's <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, what is going on in the world? Uh, today has been such a sad day. I've just been actually, I didn't want to watch the news, but I had to watch it. And yeah. in Pakistan, um, close on 100 people have died after this Taliban militant took the school hostage. It's mind-blowing. Um, since then, I hear that there have been explosions at another high school in Pakistan. So w- what is going on? It sounds a bit ridiculous. But, yeah, it seems like the Taliban took um, a school hostage. Um, conflicting reports about the number of people who actually died. Some say 20 students and altogether 84 people, including mm. some of the militants after gunfire between police and the militants once the police moved in. Um, but no one really knows the exact number for now. We're going to have to wait until everyone, officials have actually given us official numbers and how many are missing and if well, there are still some hostages. Apparently there were six armed men that entered the school. Um, what's interesting is though, is that it's a military run army school. Yes. So apparently the Taliban spokesperson, uh, Muhammad Umar Khorasani, has told reporters that his group are responsible for the attack. So they've already claimed their responsibility. Mm. But he says it's a revenge attack. Yeah, this is his quote. He says, our suicide bombers have entered the school. They have instructions not to harm the children, but to target the army personnel. Mm. He went on to say that it's a revenge attack for the army offensive in North Waziristan. Um, and this is referring to an anti-Taliban military offensive that mm. took place since June. Which is a tali- it's a Taliban stronghold that area. Mm, mm. So, but now 
why then didn't they just stick to targeting the army people? Because now we're hearing reports of children being killed. Well, it seems like we don't know who exactly killed the children. And we're just going to have to wait for a bit of clarity from there. But it sounds a bit weird. I mean, if they say that they didn't want to attack the children, but so many children have died, and Sky News was reporting that there are still some children being held hostage, it sounds a little bit conflicting, and maybe some people are going a bit rogue. But is the Taliban the type of people who would stick to their word? Like when they say to us, we our people have instructions not to harm the children. Is that the truth? Is that, or is that just them trying to calm the media down, saying chill out? Remember that when um, groups like the Taliban, who are tagged as terrorism groups, they're there for attention. They're not there to kill anything down. They're not there to make sure that people don't talk about them or make them seem any more violent that, or any less than violent than they are. They really want to be as harsh as possible. So um, whether they're telling the truth or not, that's, I mean, that's a separate thing altogether. We will never know. But um, generally, you can, you can bet that if a terrorist group wants to bring a, a message across, they will do so, and they will mm. do so in whatever means necessary. So if they say that this is what it is, you would generally take their word, however, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. The numbers of people who have died no. and the people who have been shot just doesn't make sense at all. Apparently, the school had around 500 people in there. So mm. six gunmen, 500 people. But then when you have an automatic weapon, you anything know, can nothing can happen. I mean, 500 people can't overpower them mm. with automatic weapons. Mm. It's anything can happen. really a tough situation. And we don't know how many soldiers went in afterwards because mm. uh, we just know that soldiers then moved in because it's an army base, mm. uh, army school. So... I'm not sure. It's a bit vague at the moment. Well, this comes after the weekend, though, in Australia. Um, did it take place mainly yesterday, I think, this hostage drama in Australia? Mm. And this one, the life uh, death toll, rather, was only two people. I say only, but compared to this one, it's a lot less, but mm. still sad nonetheless. So Tori Johnson, who was the manager of the Lint Chocolate Cafe, this is where the crisis unfolded, and then a mother of three, Katrina Dawson, with only two people killed. Mm. So what was that all about? That was this man who has been, I think he's been killed already. He was the one who took them hostage. His name was Man Horon Monis, mm. and he was an Iranian refugee. Um, he was described as a loner. And he was killed, yeah. It says he was killed after heavily armed police stormed the cafe. Mm. Yeah. So what happened was that he had taken the uh, the shop hostage. Um, and he did it in a very particular way, uh, in a very particular spot. It's just opposite the channel, I think it's channel 10 newsroom, mm-hmm. uh, news offices. Um, it's Sydney's biggest watch channel. Okay. So he obviously wanted to bring some attention to himself. Um, I know a lot of people have been talking about, you know, him working by himself, but as a terrorist or with, you know, with terror in mind, but it seems like he was just a mentally unstable person. I mean, he's been um, targeted for the killing of his ex-wife. He's been yes, targeted he's for um, sex- sexual crimes. It's, it's, he's got quite a rap sheet against him. And then somehow he made it to Sydney, Australia, as a refugee from Iran. Well, it says last year he was charged with an accessory mm. uh, to stabbing his ex-wife. Mm. Okay, he, uh, She was set alight in an apartment in Sydney. That's okay. So, A, why was this guy not in jail? I mean, for that. He was charged this year with more than 40 counts of sexual or indecent assault against women in Sydney. So, surely he should have been in jail as it was. I don't know, just in my mind. And somehow he managed to make his way to Australia. There's no, Mm. as a refugee, no Mm. less. Yeah, how did he get past, have you ever watched the show Border Control Australia? Mm. I mean... They have the strictest border control I've ever seen. Yes, exactly. In 2012, uh, he was found guilty of sending threatening letters to the families of eight Australian soldiers Mm. who were killed in Afghanistan and sent
sentenced to two years in prison, but he only served a portion of that penalty. So uh, this is someone who I wish they had kept a more of an eye on, yeah, you know? No, definitely. He's definitely mentally unstable. I mean, he just doesn't sound like a normal person. He apparently had his own website. Um, they don't really give the the link to it, of course, but they have taken it down nonetheless. Mm-hmm. On his website, he wrote Mon Horace, and he speaks about himself in the third person. He says that he is has been continuously and f- um, under attack and falsely accused by the Australian government, as well as the media, since he started his political letter campaign in 2007. As, I assume this is the letters he sent to the Australian soldiers' families. Oh, yeah, those threatening, yeah, yeah. Um, he also goes on to say on his website that his children have been taken away from him by the Australian government, and he's not allowed to visit or even call them. Hmm. So, A... I can see why he was angry, but B, the Australian government was protecting those kids. I mean, their father's been charged with sexual assault, with, you know, all these things. So, but I feel like what is happening in the world? Has this always been happening? And now that we have media, it's just reported on a lot more. Or is the world really in this crisis mode that it seems to be if you sit through a news bulletin? You know, the thing that's really shocking about what happened is that it happened in Australia, I think. Um, Australia did put up its terrorism. Um, watch, mm. um, you know, levels in a September after ISIS came out and Australia sent troops over to help Syria mm-hmm. and everybody else with defending themselves from ISIS. So um, they've kind of been expecting something to come through. Although we know that this hasn't been a terrorist attack because he was acting by himself. It seems like, you know, when these things happen in a place that's so close to home, and I assume that I, I say close to home because for South Africa, we're the closest continent, we're the closest or, continent yeah. and there's so many of our own people there. You know, yeah. we've got a very big expat so um, many experts, group that yeah. right there. So it's, it's a very big and very scary thing for us because it becomes more and more real. And you just realize this can happen any day at any stage to you, mm-hmm. anywhere you are. You know, yeah. you just got to be really careful. And at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do but to actually, I mean, today's reconciliation day, you know, and I mean, terrorism comes from a whole history of lots and lots and lots of problems and, uh, you know, anger and emotions. And today, it recon- today is one of the days where South Africa can actually look at this and say, this is the result of a situation and of a people where something isn't solved and where they're overlooked constantly. Mm-hmm. And today for Day of Reconciliation, we can definitely look at that and take a lesson out of it, I think. But now I get the thing with terrorists is they want to be heard. They want to, us to listen to them. They want to get their point across. Mm. But how do we take them Seriously, when all this loss of life is happening, do you understand? Like, how do we sit down and have a honest conversation with them when people are dying all the time? Mm. It's it doesn't leave room for us to listen, for us no. to understand, and to hear your point of view when you're taking us hostage. When you know what I mean? I I see it from both sides, mm. but then I feel like this is not the way. And I guess you know, terrorists they get pushed to a point of. Um extremism and desperation it comes from desperation because of people not listening or the united states not doing what they said they did and not admitting to doing certain things you know we had the cia's um report come out of all the torture that they had done to people Mm. and the kind of things they've done to people is inhumane it's absolutely Mm. you cannot you cannot be force feeding people through their anus and think that it's okay and then think that people are not going to be angry enough to think now, that retaliation. What, what was the crimes that had to be committed for them to torture them? Were they, were they as a punishment or was it trying to get info out of them? What came out of that report? It was trying to get report? info out of them. But at the end of the day, there's no crime that should be punishable by sexual assault. That doesn't make sense to me. Mm, mm. There's no way that, you know, that, that doesn't 
that just doesn't make sense to me. And as a human being, when you have all the power and you know you've got the power because you're the superpower, because you're the one who... Was it a select few people in the CIA who are doing that or in the military who are doing that? Or it's did, a policy. So it's... So up to the top of the American government, it was known. Mm-hmm. That and that Dick was Cheney happening. said, um, we, there was a report that came out yesterday where he said he would do it in a heartbeat again. I suppose they're basing it on they're protecting their citizens. Protecting from the American people. And I mean, we've seen, we've seen what America does when they think that they need to be protecting their mm-hmm. people. One of our own died after they got really bad information. Yeah, Peter Korki. Yeah. Exactly. And the sad part is apparently he was meant to be released the following day. Exactly. And a lot of, a lot of people have said, you know, they don't believe he was going to be released because they have never released people. But, the truth is that Gift of the Givers managed to secure the release of Yolandi, his yeah. wife. So mm. why were they not going to secure the release of the husband? And mm. we know that Gift of the Givers has a relationship with or has managed to speak to the Taliban mm. there and mm. has managed to have enough rep- um, repertoire. What is it? Yeah. Talks with enough of a relationship to be, yeah. able to, sp- to be able to confirm this. And, you know, the United States just went in and did whatever they wanted. But to now do. they also, the way I understood it, had two hostages that mm. were in there at the same time. So I see it from there. They were trying to get their hostages back, which mm. was, I suppose, more than our government was doing. Our government has a policy of not um, negotiating with terrorists. It's just a firm policy. So if that happens, basically, the government can do nothing for you. But, okay, which even if you're not going to negotiate with the terrorist, at least come and get me. Well, Do you get what I'm saying? And, but that's why the um, gift of the givers was doing it. It, mm. it, it, it was acting in NGO capacity without mm. go- separate from government. Mm. Um, a lot of countries have the no, no non-negotiation with terrorists. Yeah, I policy. totally understand that, and uh, I respect that because then where does it stop? Exactly. But if you're stop? not going to negotiate, I still feel you have a duty to that citizen to at least send some troops in, to, or to at least do something, even Remember, if you're not going to negotiate. The minute you send troops, you start becoming political. So. As a country, if you send troops, you're saying, I'm on, not on your side, which then ultimately looks at, I am on this side. And then when it becomes political, you become a target. And that is how that will work. So you basically, our government has no plan. If you're kidnapped, you're on your own, dude. Like, basically, yes. Good luck with that. If, you, if, you're not, if you're not kidnapped here on South African mm. soil, yes, um, there is nothing they can do for you. Obviously, in other African countries, it would be different because of the African Union and you know bilateral mm-hmm. t- uh, talks that we have within countries within the, the AU and ZEDEC. But outside of that, no, the government does not talk to um, terrorists at mm. all. It's a scary thing. And I thought that... It is a situation. I mean, like you say, it just happened in Australia. It's mm. happening around the world. And I almost feel like we've been too lucky in, mm. in South Africa. I mean, if you were going to target a, a big country on the African continent, South Africa would be your place to get mm. noticed, or I mm. suppose us or Nigeria. But let's maybe if ever you find yourself in that situation, um, there I got some tips online on, on what to do. Um, the first thing, though, is to try get out of it. Obviously, you've just been kidnapped. Maybe you're in a public area. Maybe you're not. But the first few minutes are the most crucial. Mm. So if at that time is the only time you can resist, if you're going to resist at any time, you must resist in the beginning. Um, because the moment you're in the car, the moment you're blindfolded, the moment you're out of the public eye, then it's a very different situation. Mm. It's a lot harder to resist. So step number two is to regain your composure. Now, obviously, you're going to have adrenaline pumping through your heart. Uh, you're going to be terrified. You're going to be breathing deeply. Calm down. I suppose it's easier said than done. 
But um, the sooner you do this, it's the better. Um, you'll be more observant, which leads us to step number three. You have to start observing. Um, you should try observe and remember things like what they look like, what they sound like, what they smell like. How many are there? How many people are involved in this thing? And are they armed? Are they armed with knives? Are they? Oh, I suppose you can't be armed with knives. But what 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 weapons are they using? Mm. Now, um, a lot of times in these situations, you might be told to look down. You might be blindfolded, but that doesn't mean you cannot still be observant. If you're in a car, for instance, try count the turns. So, for instance, if you're driving down a long road, and especially if it's in an area you know, maybe count 128 left, 12 right. Mm. This will really help you try to figure out where you are in case you do get um, hold of someone. Then you also need to see, are these people on drugs? Are they in good physical condition? Mm. Do they look like they haven't eaten or slept in days? Um, how old are they, you know, also from as harsh as it is to say, what race group are they from? What religion? What language are they speaking? Things like that. Now, you also have to observe yourself. You have to say, am I injured? Am I wounded? Because, you know, when that adrenaline is going through your body, you could have a stab wound. You don't know what happened during the attack. So how are you feeling yourself? You have to observe yourself. Now, let's go to step number four. You have to try and ascertain why they have abducted abducted you is it for money is it for political reasons why you and i suppose also if you have people around you why them now you need to keep a survival attitude this is point number five um, most kidnapping victims survive the odds and uh, they say that this is because if you get the captor to respect you so this takes us on to step number six don't grovel don't make yourself less than human so uh, also don't beg, don't be willing to let yourself be raped. You must resist to a point so that they still see you as a human. They are a lot less likely to harm you. Um, step number seven, put the captor at ease. So you can do this by being calm, being cooperative and listening. Um, a lot of the time, these people are deeply disturbed. They might have emotional issues. So listen to what they're saying to you and try sympathize, but never let your human dignity go. And then also try to establish a report with them. So try and have a bond with them that they trust you, uh, that they see you on their level almost. But also don't push their boundaries too far. Do not insult them. Do not say, look what you've done. We're all going to die now. And just go with the flow and be supportive to the point in which your dignity is not harmed. Um, that was point number nine. It was um, like avoid insulting them or... Don't try to talk about sensitive subjects. Don't try to talk about their children, the past, their religion, etc. But obviously, if they bring it up, you may want to go with it. And then, of course, step number 10, which I already mentioned, is be a good listener. Uh, don't patronize them. Don't try to be cleverer than them. Just go with it. So I suppose all of these things are you can't when you're in that situation, you can't really know what to expect and what to feel. But maybe one day these tips can help you out. You never know. Mm, this is also very interesting. They say don't let yourself be raped. I don't know what that means. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> what what this article where I download this from says is always make them know that you are human. So the moment you start groveling and start begging and stop resisting that type of thing, I suppose they see you as less than human and are then more likely to kill you. Mm. But yeah, like you say, how do you say don't let yourself be raped? Yeah, don't. that doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, yeah, when there's a gun to your head, it's a different story. You and know? Like, rape is rape. Men, it's what, it's what happens. You know, mm. you don't let yourself anything. 
mm. happens. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, a sensitive topic, but I suppose this is happening around the world. We have to become accustomed to mm. it, as sad as it is. But I suppose the world isn't as in big of a crisis as we think it is. But obviously, when these small isolated incidences happen, it's going to make world news. And I suppose we just need to remember that the rest of the world is at peace, at least most of it. And I suppose that is a comforting thought. But mm. uh, let's take a break, uh, go to a song. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be speaking to Gabby Mbele from the Sunday Times. She's got a few stories on her mind. So let's hear what she has to say. Jack Paro and O2U and you're listening to uh, the, well not really the Daily Maverick you're listening to myself John Sinclair and Deshni Subrami we are standing in for the Daily Maverick today they've gone on leave for the festive season um, now we have a very interesting journalist on the line somebody who used to work here she used to be part of TG Squared until she ditched us for Cape Town Gabby how are you? <laughs> John, no, you didn't just say I just you, did you? <laughs> I did. Like, we feel betrayed. You know, it's just not the same anymore. How's things going in Cape Town? Oh, Cape Town is good. It's good. Just a little scary because, you know, right about the time when I get here, there's like a whole lot of racist crap that's happening, you know? Yeah. But I believe it's because Mandela left with the, with the democracy and the, what, the rainbow happy, happy nation. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we got to live. But I love it. I love it. I love it. And are you doing Cape Townian things? Are you going to the beach? Are you jogging with your shirt Absolute, off? What? Uh, not yet. Not oh. that shirt off yet. I still need to lose a couple of, you know, before I actually get to that jogging part. Yeah. I don't even think I can even pick up my feet. That's, that's actually interesting, actually. Doesn't it irritate you that everybody in Cape Town is good looking? Oh, my God. You can say that again. Everybody jogs. Everybody without their top, which is a plus, clearly. And everybody wears the shortest things. And the girls here just walk around in like shirts. And they boyfriend shirts. If you have lo- low self-esteem, do not go to Cape Town because yeah. it, <laughs> it won't help. It happens you even worse. Yeah. yeah. All right, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us on the public holiday. I hope you're having a good reconciliation day. But uh, what's been going on? I know you're a journalist at the Sunday Times. You're on top of everything. What is happening in the world? You know, right now, everybody's so all happy that, I mean, South Africa, after 40 years, has nailed Miss South Africa, Miss World, I mean. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's quite a big deal. I didn't know that Miss World was a big deal until I started following this betting situation. So there's a betting thing that happens every year when there's a Miss World or Miss Universe. These people put on shitloads of money just to bet on the girl that they think will win or the favorite girl that they want to win. Mm-hmm. And Miss South Africa for three weeks in a row was actually top of that log. And I couldn't believe it. But now so why was that? Did, did they see something in her? Was it just luck of the draw? You know what it was? She did an Oxford debate, right, where all the girls came together and they did the debate. And I won't lie, girl is smart, eh? Mm. She's really, really smart. So that, that to me was very impressive. And I think the people that bet actually follow it up, like, full on, like... Um, they watch the wet links and they follow everything. And the Oxford debate for me was the one thing that I think she nailed so, so much. And also she was just pretty. She just was more classy. You know when they were doing the selfies, the girls do selfies and they post those things up. Mm-hmm. She actually did the more stylish, more elegant kind of things. She wasn't very packed. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, you get clapped. 
Yeah, she didn't come across as self-absorbed, I suppose, eh? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think she just has an an interesting story to tell. I mean, the the fact that she's a test tube baby to me was kind of like, this is actually quite interesting. Mm. And if, yeah. It, the other interesting thing was um, her answer at the end of the of the show when they asked her why she should she should be Miss World, and she said, you know, our country represents everything that beauty with a cause is, so, you know, just you know, what I mean? you know it, it like she just it was a really really eloquent answer and it was really really well done. Shame it was really yeah, nice. It was also, she just sounded so genuine. Mm, it sounded real. She wanted to get the world key. So when Miss United said she really irritated me. <laughs> She started actually saying, "Well, the whole time she was talking, I was like, just shut up, shut up.'" Yeah, yeah. It. Well, you but know, then when she spoke, it was just out of this world. Yeah, she is a second-year medical student, so she clearly, you know, has a brain on her, and I think that's what's translating. You know, mm, it's not just her beauty, but it's a really proud day for South Africa. We've only had two other Miss South Africas who yeah. have been crowned Miss World, and, and uh, I think Annalene was even by default. Because something happened to the to the Miss World on her year, and then mm, and she had taken over. Yeah, yes. yes. So yeah, that was Annalene Creel. She was crowned in 1974, but like you say, that was yeah. by default. And then, of course, our first one was Penelope Cullen, is it? Mm. And that was in yeah, 1958. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised we were still allowed to have all of that done in South Africa when we were having apartheid. I mean, that country still looked at us for that type of thing. Can I tell you, so I think it's the most obvious thing. The thing that I find <laughs> on the internet that I always go, oh my God, that wasn't even allowed. <laughs> mm, so money is money. Money is money. But not sanctioned in beauty. Yes. Well, apparently, which I didn't know, now now that Rolene has become Miss World, her runner-up in Miss SA has yes. to become Miss South Africa. I didn't realize yep. it worked like that. It's because now you're going to take over completely on a different title. And that means you will really be in South Africa. So they need a South African girl to keep holding on to the Miss South Africa. So Zipo, the Zogufa, Zipo Zogufa, she's going to be... Uh, the, the, she was the first princess and she could mm. be Miss SA. Mm. Wow, so in other words, they basically just took our Miss South Africa away from us <laughs> and gave us the runner up. So, <laughs> no, but that's fantastic for both of them. And uh, like, what a, uh, you know, that runner up must have got such a surprise. You know, you think you'll never be Miss SA again. You know what I'm, that's the thing, that's the thing. And you can't enter again. So it's such a problem. Mm. And then you just have five months now, now to keep going. And she'll be all right. I mean, March, we're crowning somebody else. Mm. Cause you best enjoy this. <laughs> no, but really, it is a, a, a proud day for South Africa. But I, I did see on social media, some people were saying, why is a white woman representing Africa on the global stage? And, you know, all oh, the negative people were coming out. Down. But really, oh. uh, yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. Calm down. <laughs> they must just move to Cape Town. It's fine. And Gabby, when are you coming back to visit? Oh my goodness, I actually haven't decided because I don't have leave until next year. Oh <laughs> god, I've used up all my bank days, so yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I know I that TG Squared is definitely missing you. Like, we need someone there keeping Trevor in check, days, but guys. I just miss the hugs and the hellos <laughs> and the odd moments when. Trevor tries to hump Mabali always by the wall. Oh, I just no. think that's so awkward. Uh, I miss uh, that though. And that's so actually when he's been well behaved. That's not even an abnormal day for Trevor. <laughs> no, All that's right. actually when he's well behaved. Yeah. No. Well, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us from the line. Uh, even on your public holiday, taking the time out. Uh, you are working nonetheless. Yep, I am. Actually, I am. Oh, you know, yeah. we're feeding a bigger beast called Sunday Times, and y'all like to retaste stuff, so... Yeah, <laughs> you can't have on the front cover, sorry, it was a public holiday, we were busy. You know what I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. All right, Gabby, have a great day. Thanks so much, eh? All right, and you guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.
All right, so that's Gabby Mbele from the Sunday Times. Uh, she used to be part of TG Squared, Trevor Gumby Squared here, but now it's only Nina and Trevor on that show. Mm. So, you know, Trevor gets a bit out of hand. So <laughs> we really needed Gabby in here to keep things calm. All right, I want to talk about something a little bit depressing, load shedding. Oh. Apparently it's coming back. Um, we had quite a good weekend. I didn't have any load shedding mm. at my place. I stay in the East Rand of Joburg. Uh, how about you? How has load shedding affected you, Deshni? Mm, I'm in Marvel and I haven't had that much. And I think it might happen while I'm not at, not at home, like while I'm at work. Well, um, ESCOM has come out today. They say there's a high risk now because four generators have stopped working. Oh, dear. So I suppose also with this weather, yeah, Joburg could be looking at some outages mm-hmm. um, How do you feel about it though? Who are you blaming? Who Are you blaming apartheid? Are you blaming the <laughs> ANC? Are you blaming ESCOM? Who do we blame? I'm blaming nobody <laughs> Blaming myself for not putting in a solar system I need a, a, a solar powered system Sorry, a solar system, imagine Planets yeah, around my house You can organize that, that's all we need <laughs> um, So yeah, I'm, you know this is, so, this is such nonsense I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing we can do about it Right now and if we really, 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 really want to protest this, we will do it. But we're so lazy. We but are so lazy. Even with protests, it's not going to help. I look, mean, look at New York. They've been protesting, and things are happening for these people. You know, I mean, all you need to do is bring attention to it. Like, you know, I find that people. But does ESCOM not? I, I mean, they know. Why do we need a protest? I mean, mm. they know it's happening. What's it's their job, right? They should know what to do. Yeah. And you know, with all the with all the rich CEOs just raking in the bonuses and keeping it moving, like nothing is happening. Yeah, no, I, I get you, but at the end of the day, there's not much I feel I can do at this stage besides actually rally. Yeah. And you know, they, what, what else is what yeah, else? Can we you do? have to pay the bill. You don't have time to go out and protest. You know, who has time? Who has time? Exactly. To protest. But I feel like we are a bit spoiled when it comes to electricity. Definitely. I feel like 20 years ago, humans wouldn't have been so aggro about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it was as big of a thing. I mean, your fridge would run and stuff. But now with technology, we rarely notice it when. Uh, the electricity goes mm, off. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we're being babies or if, you know, should we be more grateful for the electricity we do have? You know, while other people in Africa are starving, here we're moaning that we have three hours of load shedding a day. Yeah, look, uh, there are many. I mean, I, I know a lot of countries around the continent that actually struggle with power outages all the time. Mm. It's just a general thing. Um, I think the thing is that, you know, for us, we've been so used to having it. Now that it's not there as often and all the time, um, we we are getting a little bit spoiled, but I guess oh, at the end, what else can we do? You know, government needs to invest in more power and different power. We know that, but then you've got different lobby groups coming through. Fracking is not the way to go. Um, nuclear is not the way to go. There's always something else. Yeah, there's not always the way someone who's not happy, happy with, with anything. You know, so at the end of the day, we need to find a compromise for ourselves and just come and put it together. I really do feel sorry for the government. They really are between a rock and a hard place mm. when it comes to the energy crisis. And I suppose it's the same for governments around the world. Mm. I mean, with oil, they say they've given us, what, 50 years left of oil. And what happens then? And, and what happens after that? And what are we going to do? Are we going to still complain about it? Because there's nothing else we can do. It's done. It's over. Load shedding, I feel, is the lesser of two evils. Mm. Uh, they say it prevents the total blackout. And apparently if there's a total blackout, it's going to be like a week to two weeks. So well, That's happened in India before. And I mean, India's got the second biggest population in the world. And, and I believe no California, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah. exactly. So if three hours a day or two hours a day is preventing that, go mm. ahead. Uh, as long as you stick to the schedule, yes. I feel. And also, why can't we store electricity? So in times when there is not high demand, why... Mm. 
excuse me, why are we not saving up? Is it, are we not able to store it for when it is the peak hour? And for, you know what I mean? And that sounds like a great idea. I mean, maybe you should write to yeah. somebody and let them know. Yeah. At business day, we take letters, send them through. Okay, send letter them to through. the editor. Definitely. Are you going to publish it? We will publish it. We will tweet it. We will do everything to it. You will have it there. All right. Now, <laughs> Deshni, you wanted to bring up quite an important issue in your mind, and that's of the United Front. Uh, mm. Why don't you explain what this is and who's behind it? What's going on there? So United Front is a, a group that has recently come together of individuals and groups and people who historically have come together to support the working class. So, you know, we've had a, we've had a really, really rough um, time in SA with Kasatu and NUMSA and Zuelanzi Mavavi and mm. we know all of the stuff that's been yeah. happening there. So NUMSA has been kicked out of Kasatu, mm-hmm. which essentially takes away their... Um, blue color, blue colored workers from their group, which means that they're not really that working class representative. That's the grassroots level. Of they're the country, not working class know. representative that anymore. Um, they're kind of you know looking at managers now. So um, the United Front basically was a group of people, including a former ANC um, uh, ANC a member yes. and yeah. apartheid activist Ronnie Casseroles, mm-hmm. who also did the vote no vote no campaign exactly. last year. Exactly. How, do you know how successful that campaign was? Mm, I'm not sure. Mm. I mean, it did get a lot of flack because of who Ronnie Casseroles was, mm. um, and it did. You know, it, a lot of people came out at him saying that he was just basically ANC hating. But he has been very vocal about how unhappy he is with the party under Jacob Zuma's leadership. So he was encouraging people to destroy their ballots. I'd love to know what percentage of people did that. Unfortunately, in our country, we don't count um, spoiled ballots. Mm. Uh, In Australia, you do. If if you have a certain number of um, spoiled ballots, you actually have to redo the whole election again. So in South Africa, we don't do that, which is a little bit unfortunate, I think. Um, But yeah, so it would have been interesting to see how many people actually did, but we would never know because we don't count it. it, Was he encouraging them to do that because he didn't believe in any of the opposition parties? Yes, exactly. I mean, um, at the end of the day, we don't really have that many or that good of an opposition to vote for. If you're an ANC supporter and you don't believe in what the ANC is standing for right now, you can't really vote for the Democratic Alliance because that goes against the policies of the ANC. Mm-hmm. You can't really vote for the EFF because, once again, it's also very different to policies of the ANC. So the United Front basically wants to work with the um, EFF as well as NUMSA and like bring a working class body and someone to help the working class like defeat bourgeoisie. So Ryan Casuals is in with the EFF? Oh, no, it, it doesn't work that way. He was just... They, the United Front is not a party and it's not a... It's not anything political yet. It's just a group of people who believe in helping the working class move their ideas before the bourgeoisie. So their ideologies correlate with the EFF. Is that why? No, not necessarily. So the EFF is a more radical, more um, economically and um, like ownership level. Like from, it's basically the opposite of capitalism, mm-hmm. which is more not even communist, like maybe socialist, I suppose. The the United Front, which is not a political party, it's just a group of people who just want to help the working class people mm-hmm. move their ideas forward, is just meant to be, it, it does come from communist roots, but it's not a communist or left-leaning mm-hmm. um, necessarily a group of people. So it doesn't align with the EFF but, at all. But now if they're getting trying to get NUMSA to join the EFF, I mean, that's going to bring big support to EFF. Well, they're not trying to get NUMSA to join the EFF. They just believe that because Ronnie Casseroles yesterday said that with NUMSA and the EFF, those three bodies all together can be a fighting force against bourgeoisie interests. Mm. 
That's basically what but it I, is. But it, it would be so beneficial, I think, for the EFF to have NUMSA in their corner to, just to bring that voting power. Definitely. But I don't think NUMSA would actually go in that direction because NUMSA is more for the working class as opposed to looking at um, you know, economic transformation as such. But now, weren't NUMSA starting their own political party? Wasn't that the plan? They were meant to, but things kind of died down in the middle of everything and we're kind of still waiting for that mm. to happen. The United Front has been very mm. also... Um, very um, vague about what they want to do and whether they want to be a political party. So sort of like what happened with Ahang mm-hmm. and how it was this platform yeah, for that's things what it was and called. then it became yeah. a political party somehow. We're not sure whether the, Un- the United Front is going to do the same, but we'll see how it goes. And speaking about the EFF, what is going on at their conference? We're hearing of uh, divisions, we're hearing mm. of people turning on Julius Malema. What is going on? So the the economic freedom fighters have their um, CCT or it's their command, central commanding team. Okay. Um, basically, this will be like what the ANC had as their top six. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's like their Mangaung. It's their, basically yeah. their Mangaung, yes. This okay. is their elective conference. And um, different provinces of the EFF then had to vote for their delegates to take mm-hmm. over as certain heads. Um, there's been rumors of a um, well, not rumors. There has been a list being circulated. Um, and now, is this list against the rules? You're not allowed to have a list beforehand of the leaders to be nominated. Well, this is the thing. So some are saying that this list was um, a way for the for the party leader, Julius Malema, mm-hmm. to enforce who he wanted as the head or part of the CCT. Okay. However, he was said and other people within the party have said that no, this was just a list of preferred candidates and that it's not... <laughs> but what's the difference? It doesn't make a difference. <laughs> it, it's not actually, it's not the Bible. It, it's just what what we believe you should... And was it Julius Malema's list? What, who made the list? Um, we don't, we don't know. know who made the list, but we do know that Julius Malema has been voted back in as president. We know that Andile Mitama... I can never say his name properly and I keep butchering it. He's going to kill me. Mitama. Uh-huh. Um, he did decline his, um, there were two nominations for him and he declined it. He was third on the list. Oh, gosh. And, um, just because he wanted to be in solidarity with a group of people, mostly from Gauteng, who were revolting against Julius against Malema. The list. Because of the list? Because of or the because list. Because of other reasons. Because of the list and the way in which they said that it was implemented in such a way that it was forcing them. They also said that the way that, um, the voting took place was unfair. So was this list only from the Gauteng? Hey, it was the Gauteng leader list. No, or, or it was the national leader list. But only Gauteng is up in arms about it. Uh, Gauteng was the biggest. Yeah, the biggest. We're not sure if it is exactly them, but we know that Gauteng was the biggest. And had the biggest Floyd, number of votes. And Floyd Shivambu, is he up in there? Definitely part of the list, yes. Really? Mm. Oh, gosh. You can but find now, it on Twitter. It's actually, um, it was tweeted by one of the Daily Mavericks, Greg Nicholson. I think you'll mm. find it there. Um, it's got like about the top 15, I think, if you want to find oh, it there. Oh, for reals. Mm. Okay, I must go check that out. Mm. But now, is that a nas- is it a law that was broken because of the l- this list, or is it just a frowned upon thing to have a list? A frowned upon thing. Okay, so it's um, not, it's not yeah, a law. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it, unless it was a list that was enforcing people, mm. then yes, it did um, break a law of the CCT. One of mm. their laws However it, we, Malema has said That it wasn't An enforced list Some people say it was And we won't know Unless you know Whatever happens It comes out of it The thing he about has, yeah, so, Sorry carry on I'm interrupting he, you No that's fine <laughs> He has asked people To you know Bring up their problems With the leadership And bring it up later on And mm. not at the conference itself So if they do do that And this does come out Then maybe we'll know What's actually going on But in your opinion Is the EFF 
weakened by this? Are they? How do you see them in the next four to eight years after the next two elections? Are they growing? In all parties, you get factionalism. Mm. Every single political party, you will always get somebody who supports the leader unconditionally, and you will find someone who wants another leader. This is the way politics works, especially if you go into an election. Once you go into an election and you lose, and you don't give the people who came with you what they were actually looking for, you will find people who say, okay, perhaps this is the leadership. We need to change this. Mm. We need to change that. So you will find that in every single party. So that, from that standpoint, it doesn't really, for me, say much about whether it's a strong party or not. However, I mean, um, the way in which they have gone about working in parliament and working mm. with other parties, it does say that they are very strong and they have very strong opinions and they work together as a team when they're working against other people. It's just about whether they can bring that back again next year when they go back to parliament. Mm-hmm. They have been such a fascinating party for me. Like mm. I remember this time last year, what they were nothing. They were they've just grown so quickly. Mm. It's it's fascinating. And uh, you know, I wouldn't say last year this time. Maybe a year and a half ago, we were still all thinking Hang was going to do so well. Mm. Um, you know, before them was cope. And you never know with these parties. You have so much hope and faith in them in the beginning that they're going to make a difference. They're going to make a change. Mm. But then years they just fade into. And, you know, I don't know, Julius Malema, he's a funny one for me. Like, I really respect him, and uh, he's been here at Cliff Central. I've met him. He's a very charming man, a very charismatic man. And Just like Jacob Zuma. Well, yeah, isn't that <laughs> it? But I suppose at the end of the day, they are all politicians, so you mm. can't expect them not to have politics within their mm. own party. Mm. So, mm. I mean, if they're a politician, they're a politician. It's the natural progression of parties. That's yeah. the way it works. All right. Well, let's just move on to some entertainment news. Um, I have on the line Juvace. Now, he's from The Vent Entertainment. They do a weekly segment on our afternoon drive time show. But uh, today we are bringing Gervais on to talk about the fact that Peter Jackson is leaving behind the franchise of The Hobbit and uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, no. Gervais, can you hear me? Hello? Gervais? Uh, hey, man, how are you doing? Oh, how there you, you are. There you are. Sorry, there's some technical uh, glitches. Yeah. How's it going, Gervais? Uh, I'm good, man. It's your birthday. Happy birthday, man. Who told you it's my birthday? <laughs> uh, the producers oh, are lying yeah, to you, joke? dude. Is it like, uh, tell them about April Fool. Was it a joke? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Who was, was it Paleso or Duncan who told you that? Oh, did Ari Kalman tell you that? Yeah, they, someone told me. No, they're selling you dreams. Um, all right, so like you know, I'm in studio with my co-host. Um, we are talking about Peter Jackson. Why is he leaving everything behind? Um, well, I think, you know, look, this guy, um, the, the, the series, the, the Lord of the Rings series from the, the first three films to now the, the last, uh, the Hobbit trilogy, I mean, he's, it's kind of been part of his life for the last, um, like 13 years. And mm-hmm. I think he's just tired. I think obviously, he's made his money. I mean, he's worth like over like $600 million. Um, and it's just been, it's so draining because I think he hasn't been able to really think he's teasing um, into other work while he's in politics. I mean, it's, it's a hectic, hectic process, you know, from, from pre-production to production mm. of the film. Yeah, the, these projects um, take years, you know, it's not just a six-month thing, yes. you know? Yeah. Yes, yes. But now, um, um, The Hobbit has just come out in South Africa, I think it was last weekend or the weekend before that? Yes. Uh, this is yes, the, yes, yes. the second of the Hobbit series, if mm. I'm not mistaken. Is there going to be more of the Hobbit series, or is just it only going up to number two? No, 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 no. This is, uh, this is the third one. The oh, third is this one. the third one? Yeah, yeah it's the final. It's, it's, it's the final. Um, it's the final trilogy book. Uh, uh, okay. Final form the trilogy. All right. Um, all right. Yeah, and it's 
I mean, if people don't know, The Hobbit is actually, it actually came before Lord of the, the, Lord of the Rings. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, so really? I, I see Deshini, yeah. uh, she seems to know a lot. Are you a fan of The, the Hobbits and uh, um, Lord of I the Rings? Was, yeah, I was. I was a very big fan. I loved really? the books. Okay, loved so you them. read the books and then watched the movies. Yes. And how did, did they live up to your expectations? It never can. I mean, that level of, 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 of detail never can, obviously. But, I mean, it was really well done. Really? I'm yeah. not one for these fantasy movies. My friends have to drag me to see them. And the thing that annoys me the most is how long they are. You're missing out. Oh. It's not about how long it is. I, I've sat through all of them. Trust me, I, I feel I'm not missing. <laughs> you don't like nice things. Yeah, I don't like basically. nice things. Basically, yeah. I just I don't like things that can't really happen in reality. I can't see. I'd rather watch a comedy or Star Wars. I can't sit through you a Star Wars. You are the Wars absolute film. worst. I, I I know. There's people who kill me for saying that. Like, <laughs> but I find that when you you don't just like it. When mm. you're a fan of things like Lord of the Rings, you're really passionate about it. And mm. You'll spend hours on end watching these movies, reading these books. And I wonder why. Gervais, as someone in this entertainment game, why were these movies such a success? What's, what's the appeal? I mean, the thing is, the base, I think the base of a film and TV is escapism. So I think um, there's nothing that makes you escape more from reality than being in like a fantasy form, you know. And they take you to this world, you know, where magic and hope is possible. And I think it's true escapism, you know. I think that's why people love it so much. And obviously, there are these characters that they're never going to see in real life. And it really immerses in the world. I mean, if you look at like things like Star Wars, Avatar, it really mm. takes you out of your comfort zone, shows your world you couldn't could fathom. And I think that's what people love about it. You know, and they find identify with certain characters. Okay, yeah. you just mentioned uh, Avatar. Has the second Avatar come out yet? What's going on? No, no, no. That, that's still under development. Um, I know that there's two more forms coming out. Um, James Cameron's busy, um, Cranny's masterpiece. I think this is going to be his, like, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars masterpiece. Hmm. So, um, yeah, the, this, so are you saying the second Avatar is going to be the master? Of well, no, no, no. I mean, like, he's, 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 he's creating his own trilogy because he's going to, uh, obviously, the first Avatar now. There's going to be two more coming out. Okay. Um, okay. I think in a couple of years. Yeah. All right. So he's busy I'm, with I'm just wondering where they can take the story after the first Avatar. It was, I mean, it was basically Pocahontas in space, if you think about it. <laughs> so, what is the storyline? I mean, they fell in love. They, what, are they going to have children? The, the, what are they called? The Muggy or the, what are those yeah, blue yeah, people yeah. called? Yeah, it's the money yeah. or the mungi or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I'm not saying I didn't love the movie. I'd rather sit through Avatar than through Lord of the Rings any day. But uh, from what <laughs> I know, that that first Avatar took 12 years to produce uh, just with the graphics and stuff. So I don't know. We yeah. could be yeah. in for quite a wait. Hey? Well, the, the thing is, the reason why it took 12 years, uh, the first one took 12 years, was uh, more because you were developing the storyline. And mm. also the technology, a lot of people don't know that James Cameron actually progressed 3D, the 3D that we see today. Mm. He actually progressed uh, the technology, and that's oh, why it's a lot of developing technology, technology to be able to make the movie. So mm. now it shouldn't take as long because he's obviously got the, the storyline, the technology's um, improved. Um, but I do know, I think it's probably going to be about six years uh, in terms of work, in terms of development, to shooting the thing. And as far as I know, the details they have released is that it's going to take place in like the ocean and can explore more of the world oh so we're coming back to earth in other words no 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 no. actually um the world that they're in okay so there's an ocean on that world whatever it's called and okay because according to the 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 story of avatar our earth is destroyed i don't Mm. know if did it blow up Uh, i don't know (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway. Yeah. Load shedding killed us. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> what I found very interesting about Avatar, though, it's one of the movies that made humans out to be the bad one. You know what I mean? Very often, you don't find it that the, the alien species is the good guys. You get what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Carry on with what you were saying. No, no, I think, I think that's what also people, why people love the, the film so much, you know, because mm. it, it literally took the script and flipped it, you know, and made us the bad guys, yeah. the alien beings, and us these, you know, these kind of people. And there's a lot of, obviously, like, subtext to it, a lot of storyline to it mm. about, like, you know, human beings invading someone else's home and taking it over and stuff like that. So yeah. I think a lot of people... Are, that, they know? really made you root for the other team in this movie. It was funny the way they did it. But at the end of the day, I felt like the message of Avatar was to look after your own planet while you've got it. Otherwise, this is what you're going to have to do. You know what I mean? You're going to have to find a new home, basically. Mm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Gervais, thank you so much for joining us on the line. I understand that even though it's public holiday, you guys are also working over there at the event. Yeah, yeah, we are, man. You never stop. Like, there's always, there's still movies being made, you know, there's still movie news. <laughs> well, like, you what know, do we have to look forward to this festive season? What is going to be the main movie this festive season that we should be checking out? The main movies, um, well, look, the thing is, the festive season, it, it's kind of, I mean, like, I think Exodus is the next big film coming out on the 24th. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a film, The Hobbit just came out, this one. So the, the other ones are probably your, your Oscar contenders, because obviously Oscars are in February. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, like your Birdman, um, those kind of films, your uh, Theory of Everything. So I think mm-hmm. those are the kind of films you've been looking at now. They're not really, you're not really going to get a lot of blockbusters this time of year, mm-hmm. because it's um, Oscar season, yeah. Yeah. All right, Gervais, enjoy the rest of your public holiday. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will speak to you on Ari's show again on Thursday. Yeah, sure. Uh, can't wait. Cool. Cheers, Gervais. Bye-bye. All right. That was Gervais from the Vent Entertainment. Yeah. So he always comes in with his, um, I call him his comrade KG. They do a segment on Ari's show, mm-hmm. which is an afternoon drive time show. Crazy, crazy guys. I still can't believe you don't like The Hobbit or you, Lord of the Rings. I, I just don't. Maybe if I read the books. No. If you didn't like the movies, you won't make it through the books. Really? I, they're and incredibly those, detailed. Yeah. And, and they're heavy. so thick. It's just, I can't even look at it. <laughs> if it takes you three hours to watch the movie, I think it would take me three years to read just one book. <laughs> you joke, but that has happened before. I know someone who took three years to finish the trilogy. Three years. Yeah, it takes a long time. It really, really does. Are you like budgeting what, like five pages a day? or <laughs> Because you've got to really like read the the detail and imagine it and put it all together. Yeah, no, it's, but it's a, it's a wonderful journey. It's really wonderful. All right. Now, we are going to be standing in for the Daily Maverick up until Jan. I, I'm not quite sure when they're coming back. But is there anything we, in your mind as a journalist, uh, that you think is going to happen this, this December? Have you, have you seen any heat somewhere? Have you seen any build-up to something? What, what's going to be the big story this festive season? Mm, right now, you generally wind down. So I'm not really seeing anything huge. Um, now that the EFF conference is done, I don't know if anything is going to come out of the um, Gauteng Rebellion, as I'll call it from now on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we'll see if anything does come out of that. And I'm sure that will be dealt with quite early next year. Um, I think I think they're very good at dealing with their problems head on, I hope. So we'll see how that works out. And yeah, other than that, the United Front, if it ever does come together, and NUMSA and its plans next year, now that it's not part of Kazato anymore. Well, we'll be here throughout the festive season uh, giving you all those details. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back same time next week, 1 o'clock on A. 
what is today? Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> All right, Deshni, thank you so much for joining us, thank giving you. up your time on your public holiday. No problem. And thank you for everything. Thank you.